still my soul. Hey everybody, this is Phil. Welcome to our Bible study podcast. At the end of this study, please take the time to subscribe to the Glen Springs Church YouTube channel and check out our website. Also, if you live in the Gainesville, Florida area, we would love to have you visit us in person. For now, let's open up the Heavenly Library and may the words of the Holy Spirit sink deep into our hearts. Thanks for joining us. In every Good morning, all. Well, the Lord blessed us with a good rain yesterday. How many of you got caught in it? (laughs) I was the only one. (laughs) I had to finish that project. Anyway, let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, come to you today as we begin to dive into your word once more. We thank you that you have given us these glimpses of your purpose and your plan and that we can divine from what we read and what we come to understand who you are, Father. We can get a small glimpse of your glory, of your majesty, of your righteousness. Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to come together and to worship you and to join together in fellowship We'd ask now that you bless each of us as we take time apart from our lives and focus on you, focus on your word, focus on our brothers and sisters. Help us to recognize the the signs that we see and pick up on that an encouraging word is needed or some help is, is required, some encouragement. Father, bless us as we continue in this time of worship, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we started Ezra Nehemiah some time ago, and uh, last week, essentially, we finished that third cycle that I described in the beginning. Ezra 1 through 7 was the first cycle where you had this group of people that were coming back out of exile into the land. They built the altar first, and they built the wall. There's a significant time frame, and they faced challenges as they were doing that, and they overcame those challenges, and ultimately, they had finished the the construction of the temple and of the altar and the temple. The next wave then came with Ezra, who brought essentially another smaller group of people, but he brought the Torah, This is a man that God had raised up. He was knowledgeable in the Torah. He was uh, of a priestly line. He he was the man for the job at the time and also faced challenges in that cycle. And then 13 years later, we have Nehemiah coming on the scene. And the focus so far was the rebuilding of the wall. The work's not done Um, but he's essentially, the wall is now complete. What we saw in chapter 7, and how many of you memorized all those names like I assigned you? (laughs) I didn't either. Uh, But what we find in chapter 7 is like bookends for chapter 2. Chapter 2 was the start of Ezra, the start of this story. We have that detailed 
list of all those people that came back. And then after the completion of the wall, chapter 7, same list again. So we've like bookend this particular portion of this book. And so now as we get into chapter 8, we have that work is complete. We have a time of celebration that, that we're going to begin to have for these people as they've come to this level of success. They've faced the challenges. There were seven, seven, at least seven points of opposition that the people and Nehemiah had to overcome in order to complete that wall. So it's been a tough few months since they, they began this work. So as we pick it up in, in uh, chapter 8, and all the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Now, I hope all of you recognize that when you see the word book, it means a scroll. That's what they were using. We didn't find this type of material until around the time of Jesus, that they would actually be in this form. So when you see book in the Old Testament, it's talking about a scroll. And so that's what he's physically manipulating. How, how many of you have seen uh, reenactments of what would happen in the temple when they have these big scrolls and they lay them on the thing and they roll it out and they read in the opposite direction that we're familiar with, but that's what would be happening. And so he has these precious scrolls. And so he's then, the, the people are asking, requesting of him that he come out and that he read. Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, all who could listen with understanding. The children were there. They had, if they had the capacity to understand, then they're there in, the, in that grouping that has come together uh, in front of the water gate. He read, it f he read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday in the presence of the men, women, and those who could understand. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. We're talking three, four hours of continual reading of the law. He's got them right there. They are with him. They're listening. They're, they're right there. They're attentive to what's being said. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium. That's probably the first pulpit we have described in the, in the Old Testament, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattitiah, Shema, Aniah, oh, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah, and at his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkjen, Hashdom, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. Okay, so he's accompanied by these named individuals that are before him as, they're, um, as he's reading the, the book of the law. Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was standing above the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. 
they're acting in an in a act of reverence there. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen. Amen. So be it. Truth. Truth. While lifting their hands, and they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They're, they're moved, they're attentive, they're right there with him in this whole thing. Also, Joshua, Benai, uh, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akeb, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Mattiah, Keltiel. I'm going to let you read the rest of the list. The Levites <laughs> explained the law to the people while they remained in their place. So we've got this large assembly with all these people. We've got Ezra that's reading from the the scroll of the law. We've got all these other people that are described. And so this is actually the first time that expository preaching has been set forth in the scripture. He's literally just exposing the word to the people. And then these people... um, They read the book of the law of the God, translating to give sense so that they understood. So these other people then are going to the people where they're standing. So now it's almost like small group Bible study. You've got these people that are then taking that same scroll, that same information. They're going to the people in their place, and they're explaining it to them. They're giving it greater depth and meaning for the people as they're they're assembled together. So you've got this dynamic happening for for these people at this point in time. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Okay, they've been listening to these words. And their reaction is, they're mournful, they're weeping. Why is that? Isn't this a time for celebration? We've succeeded in building the wall. We're we're together here, all assembled. What is it that's happening They probably recognize why they were taken into exile to begin with, the faults of their fathers, their failures their whole time. And they're mourning over the the reality of what God's intention for the people always was, for this to be this great nation, and now they're reduced to slavery in in a rebuilt land, essentially. And so they're... They're mourning, they're weeping. There's also this dynamic of they've gone through this 52-day project and you've got all this energy, all this adrenaline, all this excitement, all this drama happening in your life and in your world and all of a sudden there's a relief. And it's like, okay, we're safe. The wall is there. We're secure. We're now able to worship together in safety 
there before the water gate, our whole assembly. And there's sort of this overwhelming emotional situation. Like, how many of you have been in that situation where you've gone through tremendous stress and you're on the other side of it and then you break down? I had to persevere. I had to go through that whole thing. And when it's over, it's like, now I can break down. Now I can cry. Now I can weep. Now I can mourn. But in the thick of that whole thing, I had to maintain. I had to persevere. I had to move forward and do what I had to do. And so this reaction then, Ezra and and the leaders then have to to stop them and say, stop, wait. He said to them, go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord. This is a time of celebration. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So they're taking all that emotion that has been come forth, and let's let's celebrate. Let us be joyful in the Lord. How many of you, this has always been one of my favorite verses, this particular section. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We want to look at that a little bit more carefully. The, there's two aspects to this. That word here that's translated strength is ma'az, ma'oz, rather, in the Hebrew. And it's used frequently throughout the Old Testament. In almost every other case, well, in every other case, it's not translated as strength. The literal definition from the Hebrew is out of the dictionary. um, Stronghold, refuge. So it's a common reference. Now, when you think of the the term, the joy of the Lord is your strength, that gives you one sense of what that verse is meaning. Now, I don't know why, but almost every English translation that I could come across translated as strength. In spite of the fact that everywhere else that that same word appears, it's fortress, refuge, um, uh, defense, um, stronghold. Those are the types of translations for that particular word. For some reason, the translators that are using that, that came to this verse, translated that as strength. Do you get a different sense of the meaning of, the, of that passage that the Lord is your refuge? The Lord is your stronghold. The Lord is your defense. It, it has a, a different sense to it. I, I think that the, Lord, that the Lord does give you strength. But in their particular situation, the the second part of this thing is the joy of the Lord. Because you can think of that in terms of, is this the joy that we have in the Lord? Or is this the joy that the Lord has in relationship with his people? And so commentators come down on different sides of this question. You know, you've got Paul saying, the love of Christ compels us. 
And, and is that my love for Christ or Christ's love for me? You know, and so there's possible interpretations. If we read um, Zephaniah 3.17, this is, is an interesting thing. God spoke to his people as they were about to be brought into exile. If you go to Zephaniah 3.17, it reads, The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. God's posture towards his people is one of he wants to celebrate. He wants to be joyful over his people. And, and this particular expression is as they're being carried away into exile. This, the idea that, that God is a, is a uh, non-feeling, um, remote figure, a judgmental figure, he wants to have joy in his people. And so the joy that he has is a refuge for us. We recognize that that is a stronghold. That is something that we can hold on to. That is something that will give us strength to know that God's posture and position towards us is one of loving kindness and a desire to be joyful in, in, in our circumstance. So as, you know, we're... Uh, I mean, I love the modern English translations. I make no pretense at knowing Hebrew or anything like that. But they, there's just certain times when you want to look at it carefully and get the fullness of the meaning of what's being said. And so as he's encouraging the people, then verse 11, so the Levites calmed all the people. This is huge. Be still. Your emotions have been going wild. You've, you're, we've gone through all this. We've worked hard. We've slaved. We've been in threat. We've been in danger. We're weeping, and, and it's okay. Just be still. I, we have this little thing on our wall. is be still and know that I am God. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, yes. In times of turmoil, it, sometimes that's all it takes is just stop. For the day is holy, do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival because they understood the words that had been made known to them. So on this side of this celebration, they have now an opportunity to, okay, genuinely delight in their circumstance genuinely um, celebrate where they've come, how God has, through these servants that he's brought into their midst, brought about this particular circumstance. When we look at what's happening dynamically in, in the history of Israel, it was critical that they come back, that they be a nation, that some 400 years later, that Christ should be able to come through 
this nation. And so uh, this is a huge situation for them to come back out of exile, to reestablish Judah and and Jerusalem. So now we're getting on into the uh, verse 13. Then on the second day, the heads of fathers' households of all the people, the priests, the Levites, were gathered to Ezra the scribe that they might gain insight into the words of the law. So now we've got a smaller grouping coming together. We've got the heads of the fathers' households, the priests, the Levites, are getting with Ezra. They're going into greater depth. They're going to have a a more intense study of what it is that is being revealed in the law. They found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Okay, so we've got them discovering something here that, oh, we're in the seventh month. It's in here that we're supposed to do something. And so they're... So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation amongst all their cities in Jerusalem saying, go out to the hills and bring olive branches and wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of other leafy trees to make booths as it was written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof, in their courts, in the courts of the house of God, in the square at the water gate, in the square of the gate of Ephraim, and the entire assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in them. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day, and there was great rejoicing. Okay, this, um, and one particular man has called this type of activity the rhythms of worship. This is something that when you get into this pattern of worship, it reinforces itself that now we are worshiping God in the manner in which he has prescribed. We recognize this was something that we were to do. They do it. They all do it together in unity. And now they're once again, the effort here is not just to build a wall not just to build a city, but to build a nation that has a national identity, has a spiritual identity, has a recognition of a relationship with God and the manner in which we are going to interact with him and with one another. We're going to establish these rhythms of worship that then will reinforce us being the people that God wants us to be if we can follow in these patterns and recognize the importance of this. He read from the book of the law daily from the first day to the last, and they celebrated the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. Okay, we've celebrated for seven days. This is is not, this other assembly is not necessarily full of weeping and mourning, but it's a solemn um, assembly that, okay, we've done our celebration. We're now in a contemplative mood. We're receptive to God. We're 
following after what he has prescribed for us to do as a nation. We're side by side. We're together celebrating in unity with one another. Uh, verse nine, or chapter nine, verse one. Now on the 24th day of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting and sackcloth and dirt on them. The descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. While they stood in place, they read the book of the law for the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day. And another fourth, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Now the Levites on the platform, we'll come back to that. Um, one more thing about the time frame that we're working in right here. We're um, at the start of the uh, eighth chapter. We find ourselves at the start of the Jewish New Year, the Rosh Hashanah. And what happens is the Yom Turah literally means the day of shouting or trumpet. And so that's the start of what would be a celebration season. Now, in the modern Jewish calendar, we've got that happening in October, and they call it the Days of Wonder or the Days of Awe, and it starts with the Feast of the Trumpets on the 1st, and then on the 10th, the Day of Atonement, seven days, and then after that, uh, there's the Feast of Sukkot or the Tabernacles. So we've got this succession happening. In, in modern-day Israel, this is very disruptive to their lives because this whole time frame, it's almost impossible to get leavened bread. Everything shuts down, and, and things, things are hard. But that's the type of season and rhythm that the people are reestablishing them for themselves is the manner in which we are going to operate as a nation, as a people, we're going to stop we're going to abide by the worship dictates that God has set forth for us, and then we're going to maintain those. And so uh, it's, it's like our holidays, you know. How disruptive is your life, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's? Your whole world has changed significantly. Just traffic <laughs> is hugely different. Buying things is, is significantly different. It's like that for them. Their rhythms of part of their operation, part of their worship is that it includes these types of activities where everything shuts down, everything then is focused on this collective ma ma manner of worship where we as a people are all going to get together and we're all going to celebrate or mourn or um, have solemn assembly, whatever is appropriate for that particular time. So, um, next we get into the prayer, which is um, pretty significant. Uh, verse 5, the Levites, Jeshua, I'm not going to read all those names again, um, said, arise and bless the Lord your God forever." And ever. Oh, may your glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heavens of heavens, 
with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out from Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you, and you made a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanite, of the Hittite, of the Amorite, of the Perizzite, of the Jebusite, of the Gergesite, and give it to his descendants, and you have fulfilled your promise. They're back in the land. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and you heard their cries by the Red Sea. Then you performed the signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and all the people of his land. And you knew that they acted arrogantly toward them and made a name for yourself as it is this day. You divided the sea before them, so they passed through the midst of the sea on dry ground, and their pursuers you hurled into the depths like a stone into raging waters. And with a pillar of cloud, you led them by day and with a pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. Then you came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven. You gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. So you made known to them your holy Sabbath, and you laid down for them commandments, statutes, and law through your servant Moses. You provided bread from heaven for them for their hunger. You brought forth water from a rock for them in their thirst. And you told them to enter in order to possess the land which you swore to give them. But they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to your commandments. They refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a lead, leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving, loving kindness. And you did not forsake them, even when they made for themselves a calf of molded metal <clears throat> and said, this is our God who brought us up from Egypt and committed great blasphemies. You, in your great compassion, did not forsake them in the wilderness. <clears throat> the pillar of cloud did not leave them by day to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire at night to light them <clears throat> the way in which they were to go. So you gave your servant spirit, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. Your manna you did not withhold from their mouth and you gave them water for their thirst. <clears throat> I think I need some. <clears throat> Indeed, 40 years you provided for them in the wilderness, and they were not in want. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet swell. You also gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted them to them as a boundary 
they took possession of the land of Shihan, the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, the king of Bashan. You made their sons numerous as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So their sons entered and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and you gave them into the land with their kings and the peoples of the land to do with them as they desired. They captured the fortified cities and a fertile land. They took possession of houses full of every good thing, hewn cisterns, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat and reveled in your great goodness, but they became disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who had admonished them so that they might return to you, and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore you delivered to them, delivered them into the hand of their oppressors who oppressed them. But when they cried to you in the time of their distress, you heard from heaven, and according to your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who delivered them from the land of their oppressors. But as soon as they had rest, they did evil again before you. Therefore you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies, so they ruled over them, and when they cried again, you heard from heaven. <clears throat> and many times you rescued them according to your compassion and admonished them in order to turn them back to your law, yet they acted arrogantly and did not listen to your commandments, but sinned against your ordinance, by which if a man observes them, he shall live. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not listen. However, you bore with them for many years and admonished them with your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great compassion, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and compassionate God. Therefore, now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who keeps covenant and loving kindness, do not let all the hardship need seem insignificant to you, which has come upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all our people from the days of the kings of Assyria to this day. However, you are just in all that has come upon us, and you have dealt fairly but we have acted wickedly for our kings, our leaders, our priests, our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments, your admonitions or which you have admonished them, but they in their own kingdom with your great goodness, which you gave them with the broad and rich land, which you set before them did not serve you or turn from your evil deeds. That might be why they were weeping. That is brought to memory. That is brought to mind is how did we get where we are today? And the history that is recounted here of God's covenant, God's persistence in reaching out for his people in order to bring them back into line. 
We're going to pick it up on verse 36, which is basically what comes next as far as their particular um, part of the prayer. Thank you. The Lord is in his holy temple. Again, thanks for listening. If you live in North Central Florida or you're just passing through, we would love to have you visit us at the Glen Springs Road Church of Christ. Also, check out our website, glenspringschurch.com. You can learn more about our church family and how to contact us. Until next time, God bless. Keep silence before